History is full of amazing stories and memorable people. But we don't care about them. No hits, deep tracks only. Some of the most influential people in the world have been completely overlooked or just plain forgotten. I'm Phil, and each week I'll be joined by a friendly co-host to help me break down one of history's biggest moments and the forgotten people who made them happen. Hi, I'm Tony. I'll be today's guest host, and like Phil, I'm no history expert. See, we're just two regular people who enjoy a great story and plenty of laughs. This is History's B-Side. Today's B-Sider is Lady Edison. Joining me this week and for the next two episodes on History's B-Side is a old friend of mine, a uh, past coworker who I reached out to me once we started publishing the podcast and was very complimentary of it. So I definitely appreciate the kind words, but I thought I would bring him on here just because I know he's been a fan of the show and has an interest in history and wanted to talk some history with me. So welcome to Tony, who's going to join me for the next two weeks of episodes. How you doing? Good. Uh, and thank you so much for having me. Uh, really have enjoyed the show so far. And I'm excited to be able to help out a little where I was able. So do you want to tell people a little bit about yourself and uh, your background, maybe? I'm not sure how much this episode really connects to you necessarily, but it was a topic that I found interesting and I thought you might enjoy as well. Yeah, and it was it was really interesting to read through. But I studied philosophy at the University of Toledo. Uh, I know Phil from back in my high school days. He's actually my manager, but <laughs> from Youngstown, Ohio, same area, I think Phil's around, moved to Toledo, and yeah, I'm uh, I'm in a few different music projects, have a little studio going in Toledo, and mostly when I'm not at work, spend my time trying to get my voice out there. <laughs> well, that's good. This is a good place to get your voice out. Not that we have a huge, huge following, but definitely, you know, people that listen and it's a good place to promote things. Yeah, I've loved a lot of the topics you've done so far. I really think the listeners will like what you have for them today. I appreciate that. So you and your, I mean, we worked together in a past life. Um, Obviously, neither of us do (laughs) anymore what we used to when we were coworkers. But you now do, maybe not construction necessarily, but a bit of building and working yeah, with facilities, your hands <laughs> facilities management uh, it's a mix of working with contractors and then kind of finishing off different jobs with maybe paint or bordering the the finer final details <laughs> so do you like to tinker like has that been an interest <laughs> of yours or anything that you've ever really done So there's a good story. When I was 10 years old, I got my first toolbox, and within three days, my mom took it from me because I took apart everything I could find. (laughs) Like just around the house? Yeah, like my toys. uh, She she caught me trying to, I think, take apart an outlet. (laughs) I'm like, huh, how does this work? (laughs) And she's like, no. (laughs) I'm afraid to do that at my house now. But yeah, I always like to tinker, and I'd, I'd say I've made a couple inventions of my own, but nothing quite patent-worthy. <laughs> do you still do that today? Like, come up with your own 
unique ideas for things or put things together, take things apart and figure out how they work? A little too much, yeah. A <laughs> couple projects that are just piles at this point, but one yeah. day. You should see my <laughs> house right now. <laughs> my house is all half-completed projects. It's There's the weird... There's that curve to get over between the vision and the engineering knowledge that I do not have. <laughs> That's so true. So we have talked, I mean, you've been a loyal listener of History's B-Side, and we've talked about a few inventors on past episodes. Um, and I think this episode definitely has shades of that. And I, for whatever reason, I've always been fascinated by inventors as a topic. So it's probably why a lot of these were my episodes that I just keep finding people that I think fit the theme really well as people who have been forgotten about. Um, so on some of our past episodes, I mean, we called Lizzie Maggi like the inventor of Monopoly, I think, but that wasn't really invention in the sense that we're talking about today. But there have been a lot of like creators and people that have come up with new ideas that have made an impact on history. The more inventor archetype that we've really covered have been people like Reverend Burl Cannon, who had his Ezekiel airship and was really one of the first people to work around the idea of human-powered flight, even if his wasn't necessarily 100% successful. <laughs> and then the other major inventor that we talked about was Sir Hiram Stevens Maxim, who really did make a career out of being an inventor. Um, of course, that episode focused more around his one particular invention, the Maxim gun, which was a very powerful, deadly early version of the machine gun. But he had all kinds of other inventions throughout his illustrious career as an inventor, including a very famous spat with one of the, if not the most famous inventor of all time, Thomas Edison. Hiram Maxim, if you remember, was the one who claimed to have invented the incandescent light bulb before Thomas Edison did. I right when you said um the machine gun that like jogged my memory to I have a buddy who's a gun nut and I made him listen to that episode. Uh -oh. like, you need you need to understand. <laughs> that's not that good was... because I don't know guns very well and I was like <laughs> that's the caveat to this whole episode is that, you know, I can read about the history but I just don't know guns particularly well. <laughs> Uh, I do remember it being a really interesting episode. The inventors seem to be. Yeah, and that's, I think that's why I love it as a topic, because especially with these ones, and I think I said it on that Hiram Maxim episode, was that with inventors, there's tons of B-siders. Almost every single invention that comes out, there's someone that was working on the project at the same time as them and maybe just didn't get to the patent office quick enough <laughs> or for whatever happened. Like That's what Hiram Maxim claimed was that his assistant messed up the paperwork and thomas edison swooped in and got credit for the the light bulb yeah there there was the and today's definitely going to be touching through it the golden age of inventions and what i think i am putting together is it's because nothing was invented yet <laughs> they had an easy time making new things but unlike today where it's groups that invent everything there were actual yeah. people that, whether it was collaborated and one of them stole the idea or just separately came up with all of these things, there there was quite the heyday there. And I feel like 
part of the that idea is that there's the golden age of inventors that you were talking about was like when we're coming with all these new machines and ways to make labor easier and that was just kind of the time period the industrial era whereas now all of our inventions are like medical drugs or i don't know new adaptations to technology that we already have like new features on an iphone or something like that so they might not seem like these crazy new inventions that i don't know thomas edison and hiram maxim and others were coming up with but we still have new minds they're just not working in the same way if i could throw a weird question at you if you could go back in time and teach yourself to invent something before it was invented what would that be and just think on it come back to it later it's a significant <laughs> sure question have the idea well i guess if i'm going back in time i don't know i like mean you- like Gutenberg is a pretty well-known guy because he invented the printing press and that was very important, but I don't think I'd want to go back to his era (laughs) and invent something then. Or are you talking about something that's been invented in my lifetime? So that was, when I I asked this to a friend the other day, that was how I asked it, but it got interesting when you were allowed to go back further. Okay. But I think in our life, if I could go back 10 years, I would invent the thing that people stick on the back of their phone, the little pop-out thing, <laughs> I'd be rich. Well, I mean, there's tons of those things, like the fidget spinners or the... Uh, remember, this might have been... We're a couple years apart, or we... I think you're a couple years younger than me. But uh, when I was, like, in high school, I think silly bands were all the I rage, and they were those. just stupid rubber bands that were shaped like animals or something. <laughs> And whoever made those is well off somewhere, probably owns an animal-shaped island. (laughs) No, I mean, that. so that stuff is something that I feel like I could invent if I really wanted to and put the thought into it, because that's not really inventing something so much as just (laughs) taking something that already exists, and that's marketing. That's what that is. That's more your your ballpark than mine. (laughs) I think... If you were going to make invent something that's super influential in today's world, and I definitely don't have the knowledge or ability to do some of this, but it has to be something around like microchips, I would think, because um, they're just in everything now. I mean, cell phones, cars, pets, <laughs> everything is microchipped. Yeah, maybe something in chip technology or desalination of salt water. That's a big one. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, there are those things exist, but just need to find a way to do it quickly and effectively and cheaply. <laughs> cheaply. That's what a lot of them come down to. Yeah. That and probably something around crypto. That was a, another episode that we did that I am not smart enough to talk about. It's a lot. It is a lot. <laughs> so we'll get back into our inventors here. And I did want to talk a little bit about Thomas Edison, even though he is definitely the A side of history, the well-known people, there's kind of a, I mean, he deserves that, (laughs) that label as being the most prominent inventor in history because he just is one of those quintessential Americans that we were taught about in school and everybody knows because of the impact that he had on the world that we live in through his inventions. So for the purpose of this episode, it's going to be 
the invention episode, I think. <laughs> I mean, we're talking about inventors as a whole, unlike our past inventors episode where we focused on the impact of the Maxim gun or just the fun story that was the Ezekiel airship. This one is going to be all about inventors and their inventions. So I thought it was important that we focus on Thomas Edison, America's most famous inventor. Edison acquired a record number of patents throughout his career. Uh, the actual number that he had attributed to him was 1,093 patents, which was a record. So do you know if that's still a record? Yeah, he's still the person with the most patents, at least registered in America, but I think globally, I'm not really sure if there's anyone that's even close to his number anywhere in the world throughout history. Wow. That's impressive. Yeah, that's a lot of work. <laughs> I read that he, he said he actually worked a double shift 16 hours a day, <laughs> every day. I guess that work paid off. Yeah. So Thomas Alva Edison was born on February 11th, 1847 in Milan, Ohio. He had little formal education and spent his early working career in telegraphy, but unfortunately he developed some pretty serious hearing problems. Do we know why? From what I read, there's no historical diagnosis as to why he became deaf in one ear. Um, there's a anecdote around the idea that he was grabbed by a train conductor by the ears while carrying some heavy machinery or something, and that caused severe damage to his ears. I don't know how true that is. <laughs> it might just be kind of like a story, like a cute story that people tell to explain why he was deaf. But regardless, he kind of viewed his deafness as a benefit because it allowed him to have short, shorter conversations with people so he could focus on his work, just get right back to working and not be <laughs> distracted by other people. And it also gave him some pretty good um, material to work on his inventions because he immediately started to invent devices that would help him decipher auditory telegraph signals. So things that helped him in his career were beneficial to him, and that's kind of what led him on this path of inventing. Eventually, he quit working in telegraphy to focus on his inventions. He set up a shop in Newark, New Jersey, and later Menlo Park. Here, he began developing inventions mostly around telegraphy and audio transmission. And this led to his creation of the phonograph, which could play music or other audio that was recorded as indentations on paraffin paper. And the phonograph, for people who maybe don't know what it is or what it looks like, it's an earlier version of the gramophone, which is what we use as our cover art for history's b-side so kind of looks similar to that except it wouldn't play records all the audio that it played was printed on this paraffin paper and then needles could basically read the indentations off of that to play the sound edison began working on developing his incandescent light bulb in the late 1870s and early 1880s his work was backed by wealthy financiers like jp morgan and the vanderbilt family which helped him to establish the Edison Electric Light Company, an early predecessor of today's General Electric. His light bulb brought on a number of competitors, most notably George Westinghouse and, as we mentioned earlier, our friend Hiram Maxim, who were all developing similar light bulbs at the same time. Some of the other notable inventions from his later career include early motion picture cameras, alkaline batteries, and an experimental electric railroad design. And you can't talk about Edison without noting that at times the originality of his work has been called into question. 
It's believed that he often built his inventions off the existing ideas of other inventors and scientists without giving proper credit for their work. And at times he may have outright copied or stole the work of others and claimed the patent for himself. So I'm sure at the time this was regular among inventors, but has time cleared up any of the confusion around this? Sort of, but not fully. I mean, Edison is still given credit for his inventions. Let's say that with air quotes, inventions, because they might not all be his. Like He still owns the patents and he's credited as having been the inventor of the light bulb and a thousand other things. So does he still get the credit for being this great inventor? Yes. Did he do all this work? Yes. And he probably deserves the credit that he gets. But maybe all his ideas weren't original and maybe all the people that helped him with his inventions or these ideas don't get the credit they deserve. I think to answer your question, there have certainly been people found throughout history that were maybe the people behind his ideas invention his ideas and inventions at least some of them it's just that those people didn't get credit in their time probably didn't benefit financially from it and aren't listed on the patents for them something else i was curious about not sure how far you dove into it but on his later career inventions how much of his call it design is still the framework for what we use now uh mostly interested in the electric railroad design like i didn't read too much on that i i wouldn't be surprised if people that are working on modern electric railroads consult some of his work and research i would imagine that if a very modern electric railroad were to be filed for a patent today, it wouldn't be giving any credit to (laughs) Thomas Edison. I think these are probably just ideas that he was working on because most of his work or a lot of his work, at least centered around electricity. I think probably the, the later inventions that are more represented today would be the alkaline batteries and his work in motion pictures. Cause that did develop into kind of like the early movie theater or movie recording type of cameras that they use today in any case with edison he is clearly and easily the most prolific inventor and one of the most famous americans both in his time and throughout history so it's no surprise that any comparison to him is an important distinction especially for someone who has made a career as an inventor and one of the things that we've sort of left off as we've talked about inventors throughout the first part of this episode here is the importance of women in the field of inventors So that was kind of what I wanted to dive in with this episode today is talking about some female inventors, including one very notable female inventor, because they played a role throughout history in invention. While it's normally seen as a male-dominated field, this woman kind of pioneered a way into that (laughs) and made a very specific impact of her own on the field of inventing and was really one of the first women to do it like this as a career. And for that reason, history has known her as Lady Edison. So before we get into the story of Beulah Henry, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. Wait, don't skip. This isn't the same buy me a coffee ad you've heard a thousand times. Yeah, we know you're sick of listening to the same ads week after week. We are too. And that's why we don't use buy me a coffee anymore. But seriously, 
We just wanted to take a minute to tell you some ways you can support the podcast on our website, historiesbside.com. The first and most direct way you can support our podcast is by signing up for a membership. You can join at any monthly contribution level, but we suggest $10 to start. Though, please feel free to pick whatever fits into your budget. A membership will get you access to monthly boneless episodes, show notes, future episode cues, surprise gifts, and more. We also have on there our merch shop, which includes things like t-shirts, hoodies, hats, drinkware, bags, stuff for adults, kids, and dogs, so you can rep your favorite history podcast everywhere you go. You'll also find extras, including free stickers, bookmarks, and postcards. You can suggest an episode topic, or submit a question about the podcast, one of our episodes, or even about us. That website again is historiesbside.com. And now, back to the episode. All right, so as I mentioned, the woman that we're talking about today, her name is Beulah Louise Henry, and she is known as Lady Edison because she was a very prominent female inventor and could be compared sort of to Thomas Edison. She didn't have quite the portfolio of inventions that he had maybe, but she would probably be considered the most influential and successful female inventor. Beulah Henry was born on September 28, 1887 in Raleigh, North Carolina to Walter and Beulah Henry, which I thought was interesting that her mother had the same name. You don't see that a lot that the daughter takes the mother's name. That is odd. I think maybe more accustomed to the South. Could be. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Her grandfather, W.W. Holden, was the former governor of North Carolina, and she also was directly descended from two founding fathers, Patrick Henry and Benjamin Harrison, which I thought was really interesting. Um, Doesn't really have anything to do with her story, but I just thought that was cool. Anytime you find someone who's descended from founding fathers. Yeah. um, I was going to say that puts them... About a hundred years, hundred or so years, so what, two or three generations out? I'm trying to think what the connection was exactly. I think her grandfather was named Benjamin Harrison, but that wasn't the founding father. No. How did that connect? Benjamin Harrison, the president? So the president was not a founding Benjamin Harrison the president was not the founding father he was the grandson of the founding father who was also named Benjamin Harrison she was related to both <laughs> wow that's the line and what i just pulled up was the 23rd president was the grandson of the 9th president both named Benjamin Harrison are we have, right have we really had There's been- <laughs> two presidents named Benjamin Harrison that was new to me too when I was researching this episode, I was like, we had two presidents named Benjamin Harrison, <laughs> but one is the president who had pneumonia and died after like 23 days. I, that was baffling to me. How did I not really? know that we've had... Yeah. I was like, so you know that there's two Roosevelt's who aren't related. You know that there's two Bushes. You know that there's two John Adams. But like, how did I not know there were two President Harrisons? Oh, wait, the plot thickens. He was a Civil War president. Or Civil War, no, not president. Uh, He was part of the Union Army. That's the good one, yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> really testing our credentials as a history <laughs> podcast right now. <laughs> it was a joke. We joke. We kid. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get let's focus on the inventor. <laughs> since that makes us look less bad, maybe. (laughs) Unlike her politically involved ancestors, Beulah's family, or at least her immediate family, was a lot more artistic. Her father was an art critic, and her mother was actually an artist. And Beulah kind of... Beulah the daughter, I should specify, had some of these qualities, although she didn't necessarily go into art. It's believed that she had mild synesthesia, which is a condition where the mind will assign like sensory attributes to other senses. So kind of the example that I read was that you can associate colors with specific sounds. Um, I've heard of that one as being able to almost see color from, from different friends who've read more about it. You mean like hear color or smell color? Cause you see color. Oh, wow. Yeah, um, well, edit that out. <laughs> yeah, being able to see sound is what I was meaning to say. Yeah, so like I'm, I won't pretend to fully understand what this is like for someone who has it, um, but I've heard of it, and I like I don't think it's that uncommon. But I think it would be more common in people who are very artistic or creative to utilize your senses in ways that other people don't necessarily for Beulah this made her very creative and inquisitive as a child she often enjoyed music and painting and she had a habit of pointing out things that she saw that were wrong and suggested ways to improve them like all inventors she's known for having begun tinkering at a young age see this could have been your calling you were tinkering at a young age (laughs) Yeah, she had me beat way faster, though. (laughs) It's because your mom kept taking your tool set away from you. Yeah, thanks, mom. (laughs) She'll listen to this, too. (laughs) (laughs) Don't get me in trouble. I wasn't blaming her for the fact that you're not a famous inventor. Oh, I was. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if Beulah Henry had a tool set at a young age, but she at least had a pen and paper because by age nine, she began to sketch out her ideas for inventions. Her first idea was a mechanical hat tipper, which would automatically tip a man's hat when he greeted someone. And I love the idea of some guy walking around town with this apparatus on his head that just keeps flipping up his hat every time (laughs) he walks past a woman on the street. I wondered what it looked like. Like, does he just tilt his head and it takes it off for him? Puts it back on? (laughs) I wish I found a drawing of it. I wonder if that's something you can come across, but just it's such a cool, I don't know, thought, but probably a good thing it didn't catch on. Are you looking for it? Yeah. Okay, that is quite the... Her sketches aren't exactly easy to follow. I'll put it that way. <laughs> Well, she was nine. Come on. From 1909 to 1912, Henry attended the North Carolina Presbyterian College and Elizabeth College in Charlotte. Here she submitted her first patent for a vacuum ice cream freezer. And this was a device that could make ice cream without needing to be cranked, unlike earlier machines of the time. 
So is this type of freezer something that's still used? Uh, probably not. I didn't read that specifically, but I would think that a lot of these inventions, I think, from this time period are probably not used in modern society, although they're probably the early ancestors of devices that we do use today. So I would imagine that this was probably a little more primitive and it would be... I. <laughs> I think anything that we would use for ice cream today, I mean, you still see people with like the nostalgic hand cranked ice cream machines, um, but anyone that's mass producing ice cream is using much more industrialized equipment than what she would have invented here. By 1924, Henry had moved to New York City. Here she developed one of her most prominent inventions, a snap-on parasol. Do you know what a parasol is? Because I had to look that up when I was reading this. That was one of the drawings that I just came across, but no, I don't know the difference. <laughs> so a parasol is a fashionable umbrella, basically. Um, you've seen pictures and, I don't know, old-timey photos and drawings of women with fancy umbrellas, but it's really more for decoration than any kind of like utility purpose of keeping you dry. Uh, but her invention here allowed people to switch out the fabric on their parasol to coordinate it with their clothing rather than having to have a, a unique parasol for everyday outfits. <laughs> Interesting. The success of this invention led to her founding the Henry Umbrella and Parasol Company. And in 1929, she also founded the B.L. Henry Company of New York. She also, busy lady, worked as an inventor for the Nicholas Machine Works from 1939 to 1955, and she served as the consultant for companies who manufactured her inventions, including the International Doll Company and the Mergenthaler Linotype Company. The Mergenthaler Linotype Company was founded to promote the Linotype machine, which was invented by Otmar Mergenthaler, <laughs> which is quite the name. And this machine helped to cast metal type in lines for newspapers and books, which replaced the need for this to be done by hand, which allowed print media to be produced in large quantities more easily. You'll see as we get into some of her inventions why these two companies specifically worked with her and produced her inventions for her. Um, and I think this was common of inventors to work with manufacturers once they had their product completed. It would be an easier way for them to make and distribute them and then profit off of their inventions. For this reason, often her inventions would be recognized as the products of the Mergenthaler Linotype Company or whatever company she was using to produce her inventions. But Henry would still profit off of their sales and did receive recognition as the inventor of the original prototypes. Though she was never married and, as far as I could find, never had any children, Many of Henry's inventions centered around ways to improve quality of life for women or simplifying some of the typical female tasks of the day, as well as toys for children. And here we'll get into the list of some of her more notable inventions, things like a double chain stitch sewing machine, which did not contain a bobbin. I don't know much about sewing, but that was apparently pretty important. Uh, this machine allowed seamstresses to inc increase the speed and quantity of their production without needing to fix or untangle threads twisted by the bobbin. And a modern adaptation of this machine is still used today in commercial factories. She invented the protograph, which was an attachment on a manual typewriter that could make four copies at a time without using carbon paper. That one sounds like it would have been very significant in that time. 
Yeah, and this is where you can see like why this invention would be important to the linotype company because they were producing basically easier ways to do printing presses. And this was one way that you could make, her invention was a way that you could make multiple copies um, that were essentially identical without needing carbon paper or having to type the same thing out four different times. Kind of going along with that, she invented continuously attached envelopes and direct and return mailing envelopes, which would have been useful in aiding businesses to produce mass mailings. Probably something that we don't enjoy today, <laughs> getting those junk mail all the time. But it would have been important for business, and you can see why that was something people would be interested in. She really upped the print and mail game, it seems like. Yeah, I mean, useful stuff for businesses, for sure. Getting into some of her inventions for kids, she had dolly dips, which were soap-filled sponges for children, Miss Illusion, a doll whose eyes could change color or close as if it was sleeping, which, I mean, there's dolls like that today. I, I feel like I remember my sisters having stuff like that when they were little. Man, they, they'd always creep me out when they'd be laying and the eyes were still open. <laughs> dolls are just creepy in general. <laughs> She had Kitty Clock, which helped kids learn to tell the time. And then some of her other inventions included a duplex sound producer. Which was what exactly? I'm not 100% sure. I, I think it'd be just another type of audio playback machine or maybe something to do with recording audio. I'm really not sure, but I mean, we, we talked earlier about how she... Like music was important to her growing up, so you can kind of see the impact still on her work. She also invented hair curlers, hair cutters, and a can opener. Like the can opener? <laughs> probably, probably not the first can opener, but probably just a a new way of doing it or a a better way to open cans. Um, and then she also had various devices to go along with her paracels, sewing machines, and typewriter attachments. So she, a lot of these would be new ways to build off inventions that she already had or things to go along with, you know, the devices that she was already working to improve. In total, Henry was granted 49 patents, although she's credited with around 110 inventions. Often she would not have been granted the patent for her inventions because it was produced for a company. Was that also something pretty common in this time? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if she was inventing or producing a product for the Mergenthal or Linotype Company or for the International Doll Company, those companies would receive the patents. Their names would be on the patents as if they were the ones who developed it, even though it was really her work. And I don't think that that's a slight against her because she was a woman or anything like that. I think that's just how the businesses operated, that they had probably the rights to the intellectual property of these inventions even though they came from the mind of Beulah Henry. Got it. At the time of her career, only 2% of all patents were registered by women. Now, do you know how much of that she would account for? Uh, I mean, probably not very much. There, I mean, there's a lot of patents. <laughs> she would have been very notable and unique because it's such a male-dominated field. Clearly, 98% of the patents are filed by men. But to 
compare her 49 patents to the entire spectrum of all patents that have been submitted, it's probably a very small percentage. Still, though, she would have been one of the first women to be able to have a profitable career as a full-time inventor. Today, she is still recognized as one of the most successful and prolific female inventors. She's quoted as having said, I invent because I cannot help it. New things just thrust themselves on me. I really liked that quote. (laughs) She often said that she had a complete picture of each finished product in her mind before she began the difficult task of describing her idea clearly enough to enable a model maker to reproduce each device as she envisioned it. And for all her successes in developing a wide variety of inventions, she has often been called Lady Edison. Beulah Henry died in February 1973 and was inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame in 2006. And when I read that, I wondered, was that delay normal, or did it have something to do with the fact that she was a woman? So, have you... I haven't read much on the National Inventors Hall of Fame, but I think it's fairly new. I'm going to try to look that up right now. Might be something like it not existing. You could see that. Just seems like a weird delay. So I guess it was founded in 1973. And you're right, for the most part, like the early inventors were all men, which probably also stems from the fact that there just weren't a lot of female inventors. I'm trying to look at the list right now, and honestly, I don't see a lot of women until like 1991 which was Gertrude B Elian Elian I don't know anything about her but figure we should shout her out since that's the first female I see on this list <laughs> so maybe there is a little bit of that I don't want to like just immediately call the National Inventors Hall of Fame as like sexist or anything <laughs> but maybe giving them the benefit of the doubt that there's just not a huge pool of women to pull from And really, like, 49 patents is probably small in comparison to some of the early inductees. But certainly, I think Beulah Henry deserves, you know, every bit of credit that she is due. Right. Yeah, and she was one of the most influential and prominent female inventors. So maybe there was just a bit of a delay in getting her, her credit with the Hall of Fame. Have you ever been there? It used to be in Canton. I don't think so. I do remember, oddly enough, going on a field trip to Edison's birthplace in middle school. Oh, I I actually didn't realize he was from Ohio until I started reading up on that. But yeah, I think it's in Milan still. It's the farm that he was born on and the shed. You got to see like this shed where he used to tinker. <laughs> I was pretty young, so I don't remember it that well, but he reopen that memory for me (laughs) i remember visiting the national inventors hall of fame when i was in like middle school because it used to be in canton and then they moved it to washington dc and i it might be part of the smithsonian museums now Hmm. i think it just wasn't doing very well (laughs) in canton they always take the good ideas out of ohio (laughs) we still love rock and roll though So I wanted to wrap up this episode by talking about a few other women who could be considered Lady Edisons. 
just because, like we said, there weren't a ton of female inventors. It's a very male-dominated field, especially during what you called the golden age of invention. <laughs> so certainly these women have their own stories that are worthy of being told. And as I was researching for Beulah Henry, I came across a website that's actually ladyedisons.com. And I thought it was very interesting. It's a project by a woman named Anne McCracken, where she is trying to highlight these lesser known women in STEM, science, technology, engineering, mathematics. And we've had quite a few of these women in STEM or people, lesser known people in STEM on our past episodes, but none of the women that she had highlighted on her website. So I wanted to go through a couple of them just to share their stories and other people that could be considered B-siders, especially in the field of invention. So the first one we're going to talk about is a woman named Margaret Knight. She was born in 1838, and she was a problem solver. When Margaret was 12, she witnessed an accident at a textile mill, which led to her inventing a safety device to automatically stop the equipment if something got caught in it. Later in life, while working at the Columbia Paper Bag Company, she worked to develop a machine that could produce flat bottom paper bags that would be more durable and more efficiently produced than what was previously being used. A man named Charles Annan visited the factory and attempted to copy her invention and claim the patent. Knight sued for the rights to her invention, proving her <laughs> expertise and knowledge and won the ruling. And her model is on display at the Smithsonian Museum in Washington, D.C. She's credited with over 80 inventions, including an internal combustion engine, a rotisserie spit, and a sole-cutting machine. And sole being that for your shoe, S-O-L-E, not some weird, dark, <laughs> soul-destroying device. That's interesting. I'm a little curious about the the engine that she would have invented. Yeah, I have to imagine that's probably an adaptation of other internal combustion engines that's probably that itself is probably one of those inventions that a lot of people were working on at the same time and you just wonder who gets credit for it the next woman we'll talk about is josephine cochran she was born in 1839 in ashtabula ohio so sort of close-ish to us northeast ohio although she really grew up in indiana and later illinois she was a socialite who hosted extravagant parties and needed a machine to effectively wash her heirloom china without damaging it and she struggled getting help for developing her final product. Her, she's quoted as saying, I couldn't get men to do things I wanted in my way until they tried and failed on their own. And that was costly for me. They knew I knew nothing academically about mechanics, and they insisted on having their own way with my invention until they convinced themselves that my way was the better no matter how I had arrived at it. <laughs> Which I loved. <laughs> nothing of like mansplaining her invention to her. Finally, Cochran was granted the patent for a dishwashing machine on December 28, 1886. She displayed and won awards for her invention at the Chicago World's Fair in 1893, and later she founded the Crescent Washing Machine Company, which was acquired by the Hobart Manufacturing Company in 1916, and Hobart began selling these dishwashers under the KitchenAid brand, which is something that we're very familiar with today. It's crazy how far along that similar design went yeah some things don't change too much <laughs> the next woman Catherine blodgett was born in 1898 and graduated high school at the age of 15 she earned a scholarship to bryn mawr college and then got her master's in chemistry from the university of chicago upon graduation she was hired by general electric as we mentioned a lot earlier in the episode the modern version of edison's electric company 
Uh, she was the first female scientist to work there, and later in 1926, she became the first woman to earn a PhD from Cambridge University. While at GE, Blodgett worked alongside Irving Langmoir on a surface chemistry project on how substances stick together at the molecular level. And I won't pretend to understand anything about this science, but Langmoir would win a Nobel Prize in chemistry for his research, but Blodgett found a more practical application of his findings. She was able to transfer thin coatings of oil films from water to solid glass surfaces while controlling the thickness of the film down to the molecular level. This made the glass 99% transmissive as the visible light reflected by the film layers canceled any reflections created by the glass. Essentially what she had created was known as invisible glass. And this glass could be used for airplane spy cameras, submarine periscopes, projectors, and film cameras. And today, her contributions are utilized in the production of windshields, eyeglasses, movie cameras, and computer screens. I had no idea. That one's... It's really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> that one's interesting. It, through work, <clears throat> I've had to learn about the different kinds of glass that you wouldn't expect there to be. And mm -hmm. filming is very common. It's interesting where that came from. Yeah, that's something I never really thought about, like glass isn't that transmissible naturally. <laughs> I guess I don't know much about glass or how it works or is developed, but the fact that you have to go through a very chemi chemistry-heavy process to make it as transmissible as it is, and for the applications that we use it for, like that's pretty crazy that she was able to develop this. The final woman I want to talk about is named Stephanie Kwalek. She was born in 1923 and is one of the first female chemists. She attended Carnegie Mellon University and then began working at DuPont in 1965. Here she invented polyparaphenylene terephthalamide. <laughs> Not sure if I said that right, but it's more commonly known as Kevlar. Much easier. Its original purpose was for use in Yeah. Kevlar's original purpose was for use in tires to make them lighter and to improve gas mileage. She was developing this during the gas shortage of the 1970s. Today, Kevlar has more than 200 applications, notably in bulletproof vests, which is where I think most people think of Kevlar. Uh, it's also used in cell phones, sports equipment, and fiber optic cables. She went on to receive a number of awards for her work, including being the only woman to receive the Lavoisier Award for Outstanding Technical Achievement from DuPont in 1995, and she was inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame in 2003. All four of the women I just discussed here have been inducted into the National Inventors Hall of Fame. And more information on them can be found, like I said, at ladyedisons.com. And I just want to shout out that website and that program for highlighting some lesser-known women in history. There were <clears throat> two really interesting ones that stood out right there. And they were the engine, which I looked up. It was a pretty famous farm engine for a little bit. And Kevlar, fun fact, is also used in a lot of parts in cars, most notably in brake pads and in clutches inside of your transmission. So without those two women, the automobile might look a lot different. That's true. That's really interesting. I don't know if i like this about you being on the episode with me but you're like looking stuff up as i'm talking about it so that's either very helpful because it's adding to what i 
thought I knew about the episodes, or you're going to find some stuff and correct me on what I got wrong. <laughs> I haven't found anything wrong yet. Really <laughs> well, either way, I think it adds to the episode, so <laughs> hopefully if I get stuff wrong, you'll just catch it quickly and we can fix it in editing. Make me look smarter. That's what I'm here for, because I'm no history expert. <laughs> well, as you know, I've been looking up a few things through the episode. I think I'm ready for the quiz if you are, Phil. I guess we'll see. I'm worried you know more about my topic than I do now, so see how it goes. Let's take a quick break and then we'll get into the quiz. <laughs> Welcome back. As those who've listened before would know, we like to end every episode on a short three-question quiz to test today's host and how much he studied his topic, and maybe have the listeners play along as well. So, Phil, are you ready for the quiz? <laughs> sure. Let's let's see. <laughs> let's see how it goes. See what you came up with. <laughs> so, my first... Can't really get out of it, right? It's a... Uh... We're not done recording until we do the quiz. Uh, the first one, which might be an easier one, definitely the easiest of the three. Do you know how old your B-sider was when granted her first patent? Oh, shoot. I did read this. Was she... 20, 24? Close. 25. Ah... Uh darn it (laughs) that was 25 and it was that was for the ice cream freezer yeah that was her first remember that yeah i think you did say that so for the second i did look this one up and was very impressed at what i found are you familiar with who has the record and this is world record for the most patents as of today. Oh, so it's not Edison. It is not. And now I'll clarify there. In America, it is still technically Edison. But somebody outdid him around, I think it was 2003. Could you either name that character or and sometimes you guys do your bonus points ballpark how many <laughs> patents i'll take either one as a as a win i have no idea who the person is i'm not going to get that but i will guess that he i'm assuming it's a he maybe that's sexist of me <laughs> You're I would guess that this person had <laughs> um, fifteen hundred patents. So, his name is Shunpei Yamazaki. He's a Japanese inventor and has to date five thousand eight hundred and seven patents. Mostly Goodness gracious, mostly related to computer technology. Oh, that makes sense. You gotta figure, like, everything inside a computer has its own patent. It's wild. 
it hurts my brain and i often think about things that don't exist (laughs) so my last question as what i'm finding shows her parasol was one of her more notable inventions do you know and i can multiple choice it if you'd like how much she would eventually sell the patent of her umbrella cover invention for. Do you do you know what year she sold it? Looks like nineteen twenty-four. Or sorry, no. That is when she patented it. Oh yeah. It looks like she turned around and sold it the same year. Hmm. The reason I ask is because, like, I can't even estimate the inflation of That's a tough <laughs> 1924 one. to today. Um, so, I don't know, a couple thousand dollars maybe. Probably a lot less than I'm thinking. So, let's try the multiple choice. Let's do <laughs> 1,000, 10,000, 25,000, 50,000. Well, now you're th- making me think it was more. I would have guessed like 5000 So let's say 10000 So she would eventually sell the rights to her popular umbrella cover invention for $50,000 in the year 1924. Later wow. using that money to set up her first laboratory where she would appoint mechanics, model makers, and draftsmen to turn her ideas into prototypes. Wow, good for her. That's awesome. That's now you're quicker with the the inflation calculator, but I'm curious. Cause that would be pre depression. Oh yeah. Woo I got eight hundred and thirty thousand dollars yep. today. That's three quarters of a million. And then some yeah, that's a pretty good chunk of change. <laughs> Good for her. Then turn it right around and make an inventing company out of it. Yeah, it seems... Man. (laughs) According to this, it seems like she turned around to make that laboratory, and then that's where she would start the Henry Umbrella and Parasol Company and the B&L Henry Company. Those three things with that money. Not a bad deal. (laughs) Seems like something I should (laughs) have... come across while researching the whole outline (laughs) i love these inventor topics i just think they're so interesting how people come up with these ideas and then turn them into something they're all these are very brilliant people i've always been most impressed by their just slight out of the box thinking it's very rarely does an inventor like like an edison show up it's usually someone who just does something small and it changes everything. It's mm-hmm. always right there. Well, that was one of the things I read about her too, was that she was notable because her variety of inventions. She didn't just focus on one specific niche and event, invent a ton of things that went along with it. Like she had inventions for women, children, businesses, like her inventions covered a variety of applications. And that's part of what gave her the, lady edison label because she was in that vein of 
invent a ton of different things, unique things all over the place versus focusing on one specific business. Then it really worked. I mean, she either changed or upgraded multiple sectors. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining me on an episode of History's B-Side. I hope you enjoyed being here. Oh, yeah. Thanks again for having me. Looking forward to our next one together. Yeah. I can't wait to hear your topic, too. If you guys enjoyed this, you can always find more of History's B-Side by following us on social media. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube at History's B-Side. You can also reach out to us with episode suggestions, comments, feedback, anything like that by emailing us podcast at historiesbside.com or you can support the show either financially if you your budget allows and you are willing to do so um, we have memberships and perks and all kinds of fun stuff on our website historiesbside.com so feel free to check that out thank you guys so much for listening thank you tony for joining me on this episode and we'll talk to you next week sounds good History's B-Side is an independent, listener-supported podcast. Leave us a review or subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting service and follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at History's B-Side. Send us your feedback or inquire about sponsorship and advertising opportunities by emailing us at podcast at historiesbside.com. You can support the show by becoming a member or making a one-time contribution at historiesbside.com. While you're there, check out our merch shop, extras, and more. This episode was researched and produced by your host, Philip Hall, and my co-host today, Tony Rivera. Thanks for listening to History's B-Side.